Shannon struck a match against the side of the box and held the flame to the wick on the kerosene heater. The odor when it started always reminded him of his first job, driving a truck with a diesel engine and a leaky exhaust pipe. It's funny how scent can do that, instantly recall a memory. Like the way the smell of two-stroke oil and gas burning in his lawnmower made him think of summers catching fish on Lake Wapapella with his dad in a beat-up launch with an outboard motor that didn't start more often than it did. It was cold today, but it could have been worse. 17 below outside, hovering just under zero in the shed. About right for this time of year in northern Minnesota. If Shannon was lucky, he might be able to get the workshop up into the mid-30s on a day like this. As long as he could keep it above freezing, he'd be able to work. He was making a set of doors for an old armoire restoration. A husband and wife from in town had brought it by the shop last week. It was antique, but honestly wasn't worth much. Not in its current state, at least, with how beat up it was. New doors would make it at least functional. The couple said it had sentimental value to them, and they were paying, so it was all the same to the semi-retired woodworker. Unretired might have been a more apt description. Before Shannon's wife died, they had used up most of their savings on her cancer treatments. Some experimental miracle drug that cost a fortune and didn't work. So Shannon was taking jobs as he could, so he could keep making payments on the property. He didn't really mind, it's what he would have spent his time doing anyway. Shannon walked across the snow, back to the house. He poured a cup of coffee and sat down with the paper, to give the shop some time to warm up. He sat staring out the dining room window, at a large black cherry by the back of the house. That tree must be at least 150 years old, he thought. The trunk was only about three feet in diameter, but... Its bark was rough and gnarled, and it wound upward with a slight spiral. Streaks of black lichen stained the sides of the most shaded parts of the limbs and trunk. That tree had dense, figured wood inside, and if it ever came down it would be perfect for a high-end desk or bookshelf. Probably both, and a set of bedroom furniture to boot. 
Shannon wasn't going to cut it down, though. As much as he loved the idea of crafting with the hardwoods inside the several dozen prized specimens that surrounded the house, they provided the sort of comfort, protection from the heat, rain, wind, and snow, and anonymity from the outside world. As he stepped back into the shop from the brittle air outside, he noticed that the light above the table saw was on. The other lights in the shop had illuminated the room when he flipped the main switch earlier. But the light above the table saw was wired to the auxiliary port on the machine, so it only came on when the saw was plugged in. He could have sworn he unplugged it the night before. He always did. That was his rule. He'd seen enough accidents where someone started fiddling with the tool, changing a blade or setting a guide bearing. Next thing they know, they'd bump the switch and the tool kicked on and there goes three fingers. All because they carelessly left a plug in the wall. Just last week he'd heard about a mechanic in town. 82 years old and never had an accident in his life. Caught his glove on a spinning metal lathe and lost all the fingertips on his left hand. Hell, maybe it was finally time to retire. But that was never going to happen. He needed the distraction of working with his hands even more than he needed the money. Shannon looked around the shop, gave everything a once-over, and checked that there were no other accidents waiting to happen. When he was satisfied that everything was in order, he began to work. He rummaged through the stacks of wood to find a straight flats on board that would look good on the front of an antique piece. He found a nice billet of cocobolo, about three quarters of an inch thick and tall enough for the armoire doors, and balanced the piece on his shoulder as he made his way to the bandsaw to resaw it for the book match. The idea was to lay the board on its thin side and slice it right down the middle, so he'd end up with two pieces, each half as thick as the original, but when laid side to side, the grain patterns would form a perfect reflection of one another. He held the board out in front of him, at a slight angle, and rocked it slowly back and forth in the light. There was nice figuring in the wood. Swirls of vermilion and black flowed through the piece, and he tried to imagine how it would look after it was mirrored to the other side. Easier said than done. Even though it seemed simple enough to flip the image in your mind 180 degrees, it always turned out a little differently than you would think. He switched on the saw and carefully guided the piece on its side down the length of the screaming blade. He pulled the two pieces through the back, then kicked off the power with his knee. As the momentum of the saw blade slowed, he turned around, stepped over to his bench, and began to unfold the halves. Wham! Shannon tightened his shoulders and his heart skipped a beat. Without thinking, he dropped the wood on the workbench and spun around to see what the hell had just happened. The door to the cast iron wheel on the bandsaw had flung open, and he could see the wheel was still spinning from the remaining momentum after being shut off, but the saw blade was gone. He looked down toward the floor and saw that the saw blade had snapped in two and like a long ribbon had entwined itself around the lower wheel at the base of the saw. It looked like he was going to have to order a new blade and maybe a new set of bearings as well. With the bandsaw out of commission, Shannon was going to have to cut the frames for the doors on the table saw. Probably better that way anyhow. He'd waste more wood with the wider blade, but the cut would be cleaner and he'd have less to plane afterward. He went back to his stack and pulled out two longer pieces of cocobolo. These were darker and with more consistent grain and wouldn't clash with the doors. Turning to the opposite wall, Shannon abruptly stopped with a puzzled look on his face. The light was back on. Had he really not unplugged it earlier? No, he did. He remembered doing it. He 
set the boards down in frustration and yanked the plug out of the wall. Now it really was off. Shannon took out a sliding depth guide and set it above the center of the blade on the table, holding it steady with his left hand. It was always tricky to get these things lined up just right. As he reached down to turn the wheel to set the blade depth, the left sleeve of his jacket, just below the elbow, caught on a metal bird that stuck out from the edge of the table. Not wanting to reset the depth guide, he tried to keep it completely still with his left hand as he turned his torso to the right toward the workbench. A pair of scissors hung from a slightly rusted hook on the pegboard next to the bench. He stretched his shoulder joint as much as he could and extended his fingers as far as they would go, slipping his little finger through one of the loops on the scissors. Just as he made contact with the scissors, he heard a ripping sound as the fabric of his jacket tore down the length of his left sleeve. As his left arm came free, he knocked over the depth guide, and his arm jammed into the side of the stopped saw blade, leaving a small but deep cut on his forearm. Recoiling in pain, Shannon quickly pulled his arm to his side, losing his balance as he did so. He crashed to the floor. With him went the cheap table saw stand and the long cocobola boards that he'd rested on the saw. The saw itself had flipped off the stand and landed on its side with its blade wedged between his armpit and his neck. Shannon was jarred, but okay. He laid still on the floor for a moment as he let out a sigh of relief, trying to decide if he was having a hell of an unlucky day in the shop, or if he was the luckiest man in the world that the saw was off when it had happened and he was still alive. His eyes focused on the workbench, and then to the floor below where the falling boards had swatted the book-matched pair that he had cut earlier onto the ground. They had landed with the grain lined up almost perfectly. When he saw the mirrored image made by the two pieces of wood, he instantly felt a pit in his stomach, and a feeling of terror crept up his arms in a wave of goosebumps. It was an image he'd seen before, and seeing it again chilled him to his core in a way that no North Country winter ever had. A bright light suddenly flooded Shannon's eyes. Wincing as his vision adjusted, he realized it was the lamp connected to the saw. Somehow it was back on. He heard a single click, the sound that the saw always made as the blade unlocked just before the motor kicked on. The hospital was quiet and cold. Shannon opened his eyes and glanced around the room. He didn't know how long he'd been out, but he could tell it was morning. He got up out of the faux leather recliner, his legs sore from another night of sleeping in a hospital chair. He stepped over to the bed and held his wife's hand. The walls were a greenish-gray concrete block, and lukewarm air from the heating vent was causing tubes that hung from an IV bag to sway back and forth. Inaudible murmurs from an intercom in the hallway interrupted the methodical blips from a heart monitor that stood next to the bed. The door opened, and a doctor with a stubbly beard and a white lab coat stepped into the room. His hair was disheveled, and he wore a poorly knotted tie. He walked over to the side of the bed and sat down on a rolling stool that he pulled from under a side table. How are you feeling this morning, Kara? The doctor asked. I'm okay. Tired, my mouth is dry, she replied groggily. Do you know what's wrong with me yet? Kara asked with a weak voice. We have some results, said the doctor. He got up and walked around the bed. He produced an envelope he had tucked beneath his arm and pulled out a floppy sheet of x-ray paper, sticking it to the light board on the wall. 
I'm afraid I have some bad news. This is the bottom lobe of your left lung, stated the doctor as he held out his finger to show the area. And this is the tumor right here. They both stared at him. Lung cancer, stated Kara. The doctor nodded. She knew it was going to be something bad, but lung cancer? Is it serious, she said. He nodded again. It's serious, but I think we caught it in time to treat it, said the doctor. I never smoked, Kara challenged him. It's a common misconception, he replied. Smoking is responsible for a large percentage of lung cancer diagnoses, but it can be brought on by any number of other environmental and genetic factors. Pollution, radon, asbestos, family history, the list goes on. Hell, just last year the state of California declared sawdust to be a carcinogen. So it's your fault, Kara prodded sarcastically as she looked over at Shannon. She had a wry sense of humor, especially when she had to deal with anything serious. The doctor didn't get it. It's nobody's fault, these things just happen. Shannon was still at his wife's side and hadn't yet said a word. Listen, said the doctor. The prognosis isn't good, but we can talk about treatments that might buy you some time. You could still have years of good quality life left if we get this thing. I'm meeting with my team today, and then we can discuss the best course of treatment moving forward. Thanks, doctor, said Kara, sincere this time. After the doctor left the room, Kara and Shannon sat together, silently for a long time. It's strange, isn't it? She said. I can't believe it, replied Shannon. No, look, said Kara, as she motioned her head toward the x-ray. The spot on my lung, it's... It's a really bizarre shape. Shannon put on his glasses and stepped up to the lighted pane. It reminds me of the blue door. She was referring to the cottage they had rented one summer on the lake in Red Wing, the year before they got engaged. That's what they had nicknamed the place after the only part of the cabin with any paint left on it, with peels of cornflower blue that flaked off the weathered cedar every time it opened or closed. Sounds about right, muttered Shannon. That place was a death trap. What makes you say that, though? Do you remember the fireplace, she said? There was that creepy-looking pattern on the hearth. The Willow Man. Shannon remembered the image. An elongated face that streaked across several rows of bricks, with long locks of hair that hung suspended around the side of his cheeks, like the branches of a weeping willow. At least that's what they had concluded after several bottles of wine when they gave him the impish moniker. That was just the way the masonry had cured in the kiln, Shannon stated. And this is just an x-ray. Yeah, but you see it too. I can tell, Kara replied. He saw it. She was right. It looked a hell of a lot like that image in those bricks. Shannon lay on the frozen concrete floor of the workshop. The kerosene heater had burned down to a flicker, and the temperature had dropped back to near zero. A frozen river of blood ran from the saw all the way down to the bottom of the workbench and pooled around the open book match, blending with the black and crimson swirls of cocobolo. Two ominous eyes, formed by a duplicated knot, beamed from the mangled-looking thin face with wisps of wood grain that hung from the sides like a willow's drooping branches. 
angle of the blade means no angel will be saved Approach a simple party, slap a bloody rave on it Down to do danger work, leave a uni locker haunted Dust up a punch up, the whole reunion's gone as whole murder spree just to find out who's ticklish Too stupid for me and leave it to the analyst Souls trapped in objects and the object trapped in the thoracic Voices keep on going till I gag the mouth and wrap the plastic power gun Darkness hit the squeaking on the gym floor Poison punch don't do it like a poison thumbtack no more Mystery of the horizon multiplies the deadly dice And still I chuck them straight against the wall to do away with life Who can hear the music? Anyone else hear the box? See the ballerina dripping blood down to her socks? No? Nobody? Come on, you must be playing. I knew I'd lose my grip one day. I just thought it'd be later. on the gym, Jim get your steak knife and act like he can shake it off like you won't get command grab Jim, knock that bullshit off, understand the scene, they ain't nothing to protect you, I've seen it all, studied seances, lectures, how to harness threads of leyline oriented evil, how to shave the odds in my favor and tie together sneakers, busy as a motherfucker, motivation steeped in the darkest shade of red, even let fake ass demons sneak in, pull the brake and let a dead foot and lungs both filling up with brackish and those fish sounds Oh, I can't keep it up at this pace It's too hard to clean up where the next phrase Don't get down on yourself as the tape plays It's them or us and it has always been this way since dark days